Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back, Philippe and Andy, to Coaching Inside the Box. But not just Philippe and Andy, welcome back to all of you wonderful listeners out there. Today's going to be a fun one. Uh, we've been, well, I don't know about Philippe, Andy and I have been staying up late in the night or waking up very early to watch several Women's World Cup games. And uh, just like we did during the Men's World Cup uh, uh, last year, um, we're going to talk about what we see in the Women's World Cup games, how that uh, ties in or reflects uh, um, or, uh, to the greater connection to what we see from a development, youth development and cultural development impact and how that that all lies in. Obviously, now we know the U.S. women are out early. Earliest exit ever in a uh, for a U.S. team in a Women's World Cup. Um, and so we're eager to digest that and talk through that. But before we dig in and share our perspectives on what we've seen, Philippe, Andy, how are you guys doing today? I'm, I'm absolutely cooked. I'm done. I, you know, I'm getting up in the middle of the night. I'm watching games. I'm 65 years old. It takes me a month to recover, and I'm doing this night after night after night. I'm about two years in debt right now. Andy, you're only 65. You look, <laughs> you look pretty good for being 65. I, I looked about 18 before the World Cup started. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's interesting and fun. I mean, we, we, we're, in, we're from Kansas City, right? So, like, we know Vlatko. Vlatko goes from Kansas City, got to start coaching um, initially in the youth game in uh, in Kansas City um, before coaching indoor professionally and actually I think ran sessions that Philippe participated in. Um, and so we know Vlatko. And so we've had, a, it's been a, a fun watch at the, the games. Um, I don't know about you guys. I don't share the same criticism that the rest of the, the, the Twitterverse or Xverse, I guess now that Twitter's gone, um, is sharing related to Vlatko. I think Vlatko did a great job um, with what he had. I think our problem from a U.S. women's national team perspective is largely built around we don't have creative players, which they just don't exist. Uh, and we have Rose. Rose is quite creative, but she didn't get to play much of this World Cup. And so um, we, were, we, we were on an uphill battle from day one, I think, uh, to kick off this World Cup. I think, one, I think being a national team coach is a really, really tough job because and it's been a complaint, uh, per se, by a lot of coaches that – you don't have a lot of time to train your team, right? So you get your team maybe a month before a World Cup. And before that, you know, friendlies, qualifying, tournaments. But, like, you don't have the day-by-day day to work on the players, right? So you, it's it's hard to implement a philosophy, teach the players to play the way you want, to develop players. So if you're in a professional team, you have a total, not control, but you have an influence in the academies and how the players are going to be developed, you know, to fit that team, right? In a good project from a good good team. Um, a national team coach doesn't have any of that. He's relying on the other clubs uh, in in the country to develop the players. Yes, he has the luxury to pick. And if you are in a powerhouse uh, in a soccer country, uh, you obviously have a great pool of players to pull from. But if you're in a generation that is kind of struggling, having an identity crisis, or things are not being done the way they should be, it, I mean, it's kind of unfair to, to point out to the coach, wow, if the coach, you know, 
didn't play players that are outstanding, you know, or something like that. We can argue about that. But other than that, it's it's kind of tough to, you know, kind of judge a coach by, you know, a th tournament that it's, what, three games, four games, or maybe seven if you reach the final. So I had lunch with Vladko right before he left. And I think with the players that he took, he did a tremendous job of keeping them in the World Cup. And, you know, but for one millimeter, he might still be in the World Cup with those players. The, the problem you've got is that you've got the U.S. national team, which is uh, on the dirty side of the ball, defensively, you know, tactically, technically, you know, in, in all different ways tremendous on the dirty side of the ball. Defensively, their record was the best in the World Cup. Absolutely. You know, but, you know, when a team like that goes hundreds of minutes on the offensive side without scoring, you know, that's where your problem is. And, you know, you cannot tactically make up for a lack of individual skill, a lack of finishing ability, a lack of the ability to penetrate at speed under pressure in the crowd. You cannot do anything in the short time as a national team coach to make up for that lack of ability on the players that you have available to them. And all we have to do is go back four years. You know, I was in Paris. I watched World Cup live in Paris last time when they won. And in Paris, they had in their forward line, Kristen Press on the left, who's tremendous dribbler, goal scorer, sees things creatively. She's a beautiful player, caused havoc in the games that I watched, whether it was on TV or live, she always causes havoc. She's injured now. You know, Tobin Heath has been injured for the last few years, so she's retired. You know, she caused havoc on the right wing. They didn't have a winger that could cause any havoc here. Pino, you know, four years ago, she was causing havoc on the left wing. It was either her or Kristen that was in the game on the left wing. You know, Alex Morgan was in the middle, and Alex was playing better. I think that was pre-having a child and taking She's time younger. off. She was younger. She was faster. <clears throat> uh, you know, she, uh, she just had... More weapons. Carly four Lloyd years ago. also it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There you were know, plenty she could come of weapons. In. Yeah, they they had they had a ton of firepower up front, but they had dribblers. They had goal scorers. They had people that could dribble with the ball close to their feet, not necessarily even deceptively at times, but they could keep the ball half a yard closer to their feet. And our forwards now, the ball gets away half a yard, and it gives the defender time to step in and get a toe in, make a tackle. You know, break you, things up. You raise a good point because during the, the, the Sweden US, actually, Andy, you and I watched USA Sweden live together in France last That's year. That's exactly right. We were together for that game. Right. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the moment in which I was most certain that the US was going to end up beating Sweden uh, the other day for that game was actually when we subbed in Lynn Williams because time and time again, she was so athletically gifted compared to the left back. She kept getting in behind. But, and I thought that eventually we'd break through despite the fact that Lynn, I'm, I don't know her, I'm a wonderful person, I'm sure, um, but Lynn just doesn't have it from a close control perspective. Technically, she is poor. 
compared to every single player you just listed off that was uh, a key part of the attack four years ago in the World Cup. Technically, she is poor. Trinity Rodman, I think probably going to end up being a great player. Technically, she is poor compared to every player you just listed listed off. So Sophia Smith, who I think is the best of the three, still not anywhere near the level of the people that you just listed off. And so, as we look at at the, at the performance that 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 we collectively had as the World Cup and all the hand wringing and all of the discussions that are happening both in pop culture and within soccer circles about this last World Cup, I think if if we're going to be really honest with the 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 challenges that we as a as as a nation have it's just simply put we're not developing the players that we need to develop to win world cups like that's just is what it is and and let's let's move away from the forwards for a while this is also the problem in the midfield our midfield is hard working strong you know the, you know there's there's some you know players there with some good vision when it comes to passing skills but when it comes to you know playing in in a number ten role, Rose Lavelle is the only one that's capable of doing that, and you know she seems to have a lot of injury problems. You know she she doesn't seem to have the type of strength that you know that some other more creative number tens have had in the past. You know so she's missing out on that aspect of the game. You know but she does a good job creatively of of you know getting into the you know the right places. Um, you know, manufacturing shooting opportunities, you know, getting assist passes to her forwards without her there on a consistent basis and without her there fully fit, we looked a pale shadow of when she's in the team. Now, you know, some of the other teams don't just have a Rose, Rose Lavelle. They have other players that are also really creative in those midfield roles. We don't have that. You know, for me, the USA gets a 10 out of 10 defensively. You know, I thought Julia Twinch fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. dropped her back from the midfield, needed her in the midfield, dropped her back from the midfield. She was actually better, I think, than Becky would have been if Becky Sauberon had been fit. You know, so, you know, just a phenomenal player, you know, but where's our creativity when we get the ball? We're good on the dirty side of the ball. We're incredibly good at stopping the other teams from scoring. But, you know, the, the teams that win World Cups... Score goals, create goals. They have creative players that beat people, create numbers even, numbers up in attack. And we didn't have that. It had nothing to do with the tactics. For the weapons that Vladko had, his tactics were as good as they can get. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think he did a fantastic job. And he's getting hammered by a huge section of the soccer community that doesn't understand that you have to have really good quality ingredients for your food to make a great meal. You know, and we don't have the really good quality ingredients on the creative side to make a great meal. We are making a meal to send us to do a job, you know, for the for the next twelve hours. We're making a meal that gets energy into our system. This meal doesn't taste taste good. You know, it wasn't you until that? it wasn't until this moment that I realized why the meals that I prepare aren't very good. I always thought like I was a pretty good cook. No spice. I just don't have enough ingredients. I think that's the mistake. That's that exactly I, right. Yeah, There's thanks, no Andy. spice, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, you've got to have the spice. You know, the last World Cup we had spice coming from an English. 
Englishman who has the blandest food ever. <laughs> and unfortunately, over the decades, Fish the blandest chips. soccer ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, nowadays, actually, we're seeing some creative players coming through yeah. that give England a chance of winning the World Cup. I'm not saying they're favorites creatively, but we have enough creative players now coming through that England has a chance at winning the next World Cup. I have not watched them yet, but I'm eager to watch them uh, from the quarters onward. My daughter asked me the other day after the U.S. was out. I'm sure if the game I'm not talking about the women's game. I'm talking about the men's oh, the game. game. Yeah, yeah. You know, on, on the women's side, I don't think England's got the creativity. They're, they're kind of a... Who's um, got the creativity in the women's game right now? Spain, Spain, although I haven't watched them in this World Cup, I have watched them in previous editions, and I've been impressed with them technically. You know, the, the best player is out of the World Cup. You know, uh, the, what's the Swedish girl? She's got a double-barreled name. She is phenomenal. Place for Barcelona. Um... I've got it down here somewhere. Um, but, you know, she, she, Graham Hansen, you know, she... She's Swedish? No. <laughs> you said <laughs> Swedish. Oh, yeah, she is. She plays for, no, Norwegian. Norway. Sorry. Sorry. She's Norwegian. Sorry. Um, Andy had an episode, guys. Yes. Um, <laughs> Welcome back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because you kept saying Swedish, Swedish, and you, you were like, she's Swedish. She's like, no. <laughs> Andy, really, Andy, Andy does a thing for Swedish fish, and so I think they were just in his mind. For I a still think about the fish and chips. Uh, Ingl- England. Hey, listen, you know, when you're 65, you have the right to have a Mitch McConnell moment. You know, it, it, it's totally blank. You know? <laughs> when you're 30, it's not allowed because it happens to me at times. Philippe's like, who's Mitch? McConnell. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. <laughs> and for the the readers that you know don't know this reference, you know, listeners, he, the readers, listeners, there goes another moment. Um, <laughs> Mitch got in front of the microphone and just completely stopped talking. Yeah, you know, had an episode where I, they think he might have had a seizure. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he just completely blanked for like thirty seconds, and yeah. then he had to be led away from the microphone yeah. because he couldn't get it back. You know, he's got it back now, apparently. But you know he's eighty something, and you know, and that stuff catches up with us. Yeah, and I mean us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're you're, you're sixty five, but the life you led, your body might feel like it's eighty. Hundred and eighty. Okay, well, actually, a player I want to talk about, Andy. We talked about him pre pre recording, uh, or talked about her pre recording. Um, is the Colombian, the young 18-year-old that you've been, I, I think it's fair to say that you're smitten with, uh, watching her play and what she can do and what she's done for Colombia, which is not a women's soccer country at all. And they just beat Jamaica in the round of 16. Also, Jamaica hadn't has never uh, uh, succeeded at the women's game before. I think they had to raise special money to even get to the World Cup. Um, uh, but they just, and they're now on to the quarters. Um, and, and so what have you noticed? What do you see? What... What has, uh, what has caught your eye about um, uh, Cancelo? Well, you know, I, I will say this, that you know, I was in Colombia um, with uh, my daughter who played for the USA futsal team uh, three years ago, four years ago. And, you know, when you say it's not a women's soccer country at all, uh, you know, things are changing, as they are all over the world where women are concerned in soccer. Traditionally, it's not a women's soccer powerhouse. Uh, but times are changing, and it is becoming a, a soccer powerhouse. But Colombia is um, where they play soccer, a poor country. And it's a poor country in general compared to you know, other nations like the USA, England, etc. 
But this may be to their advantage when it comes to soccer because, you know, the girls just play in the streets, you know, with the boys. And Caicedo, I did a little bit of research because she's done absolutely phenomenally. She's only 18. And, you know, she's been picked up by Real Madrid, transported to Europe. Um, But the reason she's been picked up is, you know, in the one-on-one finishing, she's an absolute phenom. You know, and, you know, she's scoring these goals that, you know, that she's finding top corners. She's finding bottom corners. She's beating people in the one-on-one. She's so cool under pressure in the crowd. And come to find out that she's only ever played with boys. You know, you know, when, you know, she was five years of age, they realized she was a superstar, you know, and she had a local sponsor in the little town that she comes from. It's a shanty town. You know, it's almost funny. I looked it up on Google Maps. You know, all they've got is like huts in this whole town and there can't be any more than a thousand people in the whole town you know and you know in this whole town they've got all these little huts and then they've got this incredible soccer field and this incredible small-sided soccer pitch and you can see where all the money has gone in from a benevolence you know whoever's the big money factor you know who i think has sponsored caicedo over the years you know has put money into soccer you know, for whatever reason in a small town, probably because he grew up playing the game and loves it and made some money doing something else, you know. And so, you know, she is a boys soccer player playing in a woman's game, basically, because that's how she was brought up, playing the aggressive game, the faster game, you know, probably, the you know, the crazy game where there's less rules, you know, because that's the way it's played in the favela-type soccer environments. Well, the takeaway that I'm, I have from, from this discussion that we had pre-recording and what you've just said now isn't that she was playing with the boys. The takeaway that I have is that she, I mean, she was playing with the boys, but the takeaway I have that I think is relevant is it's not as simple as if we just have our American girls go play with the American boys, it's going to fix it. It's watching a culture that, 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 that has truly, um, as we wax lyrical oftentimes on this podcast, um, uh, captured the essence of creative development and encouraging players to go out and play in, in, in those environments. And as we watch the world where, where countries have that culture say, yeah, we're going to have a women's team. They're not necessarily investing you know, a ton of money into to fantastic technology to, to player development. They're just, they're just encouraging their, their young women girls to play and play in the same way that the boys play and what's going to happen and this is the world cup that we've seen it the most right with colombia succeeding africa morocco um, nigeria and south africa three african teams got out of the group this year jamaica jamaica got out of the group this year colombia got out of the group this year we're seeing uh, uh, countries in the women's game that have a culture of street soccer uh, advance and meanwhile in the United States we're still battling it with ECNL and fancy cameras and uh, speed and agility training and honestly I think this is a great point because Andy you you've been talking about this Colombian 18 year old and uh, who you know Colombia is progressing in the women's game and all that he talk about senior moments listen to you <laughs> Well, English is not my first language. (laughs) English is not my first language, so sometimes some words escape from me. But anyways, you look at at Marta, probably the best women's player of of all time. Would you say that? Absolutely. Okay. Far and away the best. So you look at Brazil, Marta is probably born in the early 80s. I don't remember we talked about that on another another podcast, but 
so women's soccer was illegal in Brazil up until the, I think, late 70s uh, or something like that. So not too far from when she was born. And she's a product of just being a girl playing on the streets with boys because girls didn't play soccer in Brazil. So when you look at talents emerging in these countries that don't have a structured uh, soccer culture on the women's game, it's just growing, growing, growing. Therefore, obviously, the talent is now appearing more and more. But you, even when you look at these individual players, they come from these places. It's, it's not the, the, the coaching. It's not the structure. It's not, I mean, the U.S. pool of women's player. It's probably way, way, way bigger than any other country sure. in the world, even Brazil. Population is bigger, even though Brazil has a large population. Even now even though it's been changing, it's still way too far to get to the U.S. level of, you know, percentage of women participating in soccer and all that. But still, it shows that all these talents emerging in these smaller pools, but that have the soccer culture, that play on the streets, that's what's developing the players that are sitting out. It's not what we're doing here. How does that... Because we often talk about the great players of the men's game and how they grew up playing street soccer but like I think this is even more of a statement or of a testimony of how the creativity and the street game and all that is is important because in the women's game these countries that have no structure like Brazil didn't have a league up until I don't know 10 years ago maybe there's no structure and still produce those kind of players yeah. because of the culture, because of the environment and because of street soccer. I don't understand how people here cannot see that. Yeah. And, and let's, let's go back. You know, Brazil is a fantastic example of a country that, that, you know, has less structure for their young players and produces better players than the rest of the world. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And this isn't the USA, which is the country in the world that had an incredible group of athletes at the World Cup, totally underperformed compared to their past record. Germany. Right. Yeah. Did you watch them? I did not watch them. I didn't get much chance. They only played three games. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, this is really intriguing to me because, you know, I, I've tried to stay up and watch just about every game. And I poured over all the highlights and, and uh, you know, to a ridiculous degree, to be honest. And, and, Germany plays a pedestrian skill game, but they are athletes, man. You know, they're big, they're fast, they're strong, uh, you know, they're good in the air. You know, they put a lot of balls into the middle of the box because, you know, they can, they can win headers, you know, and score goals on headers. You know, on the floor, creativity is almost zero. In fact, you know, I was surprised, but you know, one of the goals they scored, and they didn't score many, was after a scissors just so happened the scissors destroyed the defender and then you know the pass was made after the scissors when the space was created and that's where the goal came from was when their one piece of skill on the floor actually you know was was achieved and paid off you know and so here we here we've got the USA and Germany with great athletes and they're incredibly similar to each other and both of them are out Germany in round play and the US in the round of 16 earlier than ever before and it's wake up and smell the coffee time for cultures like germany and the usa that do not have a creative emphasis in in their youth game 
But they don't need that. If they get the, those kind of athletes, they're going to win in the youth game. And that's what matters, right? But they need it at the international game. You know, because you're going up against players, you know, like Quesado from Colombia, that in one moment of brilliance, you know, can, you know, can win a game. And Germany doesn't have the one moment of brilliance to stay in that game. So Colombia can keep it 0-0. One moment of brilliance, they win the game. You know, and, and this is what is happening now, is that one moment of brilliance. And let's go back to the men's World Cup final. You know, it, it, it turns out... Two, mo two players, it was a 1v1 game. It was a 1v1 game. You know, it was Mbappe versus Messi. You know, and that was it. One moment of brilliance from each, or two moments of brilliance from, from Messi, and Argentina wins the World Cup. That's what it takes. You know, you, you look at into Miami... Into Miami, terrible team, doing awful. <laughs> they sack their coach. Beckham, you know, works some magic, brings in Messi, you know, and all of a sudden now they can't lose. But what's happening? Messi's hitting the top corner shot from free kick. Well, he scored what, seven goals. I mean, you know, as, as that ball goes into the net, it shaves the wood off of both the crossbar and the post. He's that good, you know. And, you just you know, dated yourself. You referred to the crossbar and the post as wood. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, hey, and talking about that in the Amazon rainforest, is there any wood left? You know, because you know, aren't they just robbing it? There's more than in right? the US. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and the, you know, isn't it obvious that you know we need more of the Leo Messi's? We need more of you know the Anel Di Maria's, the Kylian Mbappe's, the Martyrs. We need more of the Caicedo. You know, and what are we doing in, in the United States? You know, it, on the youth level, they've put together this league where winning is everything. Getting in front of a college coach so that you can get a college scholarship and go and play for four and a half months a year is everything. Well, we were having this conversation pre-recording and you mentioned a, an English player. I, do, I don't know her, um, but she, Anson at North Carolina recruited her to come over. Alessia Russo. Alessia Russo. But right. she only stayed two years because it quickly became apparent to her that, she, that if she's going to develop, she needs to go back to England and play in a professional setup where she can play 10, 11 months of the year versus four and a half at the University of North Carolina. And I, and I asked the, you know, the, re, the listeners, you know, that, our, our um, audience, you know, if you are a young player and you're 18, 19 years of age, you know, and you've got a chance to go to the USA and you have an adventure, and so you come over and then you realize that because of the restrictions, you are not allowed to play any more than four and a half months a year, you know, and you're looking at your next level and the next level is professional above that. And you're saying to yourself, I don't need to waste another couple of years, be, you know, having literally almost two thirds of the year shaved off of my developmental experience. So I need to get back to England where the professional sides are going to develop me for 12 months of the year. No restrictions. They're going to do exactly what's right for me as a player for 12 months instead of four and a half months. And that means that I can go forwards and I can take the next step and then maybe I can make the English national team. You know, and had she stayed the next two years with North Carolina, unfortunately, she would have played at a lower level. Been different. It would have been different. And she might not even be in the England squad right now. Yeah. You know, because, you know, with all respect to Anson, who I think has done a phenomenal job in terms of his knowledge and his ability as a coach to develop players, um, he can't do in four and a half months what other countries can do in 12. You know, it's impossible. So um, just just to highlight what Andy said, when I came to America to go to school, it was my decision. Do I still want to be a professional soccer player or do I want to 
go to school in America. When I came here, knowing that my season was August through December, I knew that, you know, only four, four and a half months of the year, there's no chance, right? How can you develop when the other, you know, players that you would be competing against are doing 12? So it was a decision. I'm going to America to study, have a good experience. Players that have an aspiration, that's, that's not how they're going to do it. So. Sure. Sure, sure. I, I think the 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 one takeaway, the or the the biggest takeaway I have, if I'm only taking one thing away from from what I've what I've witnessed so far in this Women's World Cup, is that um, for all the advantages or the head start that the U.S. Women's National Team had, and we did have an, a head start and a head start we should celebrate, right? Because um, for the longest time we put women's sports at at, um, at a higher uh, at a higher pedestal than the rest of the world did. And because of that, we got a head start. And that shouldn't be held against us. That should be something we celebrate because I think without the United States really taking the lead from a women's sports perspective, I think it's fair to say that the rest of the world is even further behind in terms of giving women the opportunity from an athletic perspective um, uh, that, they're, that, they, that they're doing right now. Despite all of those head starts, it's it's really just taken, in some respects, some, some rather backward, um, backwards, not the right term. I definitely shouldn't use it. It's really culturally inappropriate, but, but slower, um, slower, um, enthusiasm toward women's sport countries, um, and, and women's rights, perhaps even, um, uh, uh, the, those countries, once they've decided to do it, it's literally just turning it on and they've already got the culture established to support proper development from a creative and deceptive dribbling perspective. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I laugh because there's a guy I can't stand that I follow on X, formerly Twitter, um, who um, is, is is just a, a shock jock uh, political uh, person. Um, I won't even name him here on this podcast, but he was going on this whole thing of like, I'm making so much money off this Women's World Cup because I'm just picking to win the game the team that has the best track record for, for women's rights. Um, and so when the United States plays, you know, a country that doesn't have the same record of women's night, women's rights. I'm picking the United States and apparently it worked out for him for the first few days of the world cup. Um, but as it's progressed on, I, I'm not sure that that's played out necessarily as he thought it would, because we have countries that are new to investing in women's soccer doing quite well because they have this, this, this culture of, of creativity that, that we've pointed out. Yeah. And I mean, just to give an example, Brazil did terrible in the world cup, obviously. We can talk about that later. But what happened in this World Cup had never happened before. The amount of investment that they had, uh, the structure that they had in, you know, for their staff and everything, all the logistics, all the sponsors, all the... And I think that was actually one of the problems. Were people watching back home? Exactly. Everybody actually, obviously nothing compared to the men's one yet, but people are actually watching and people that weren't watching at least were talking about it. Yeah. Right, they knew what was happening. When you look at the United States, we talk about it. We know because we're in the soccer community. But if you look at the country from a macro perspective, I mean, people don't really follow yet because the culture is not established. So um, Brazil starting to get that. So I think you know had a bad World Cup, but it's going on the right direction, on the right track. You know, there are some talented players. Uh, but yeah, like you said, these countries that have the culture once they start you know, investing and giving them the support, I mean, it's only going to grow and it's only going to be 
worse for the U.S. And it, that's the difference between the U.S. in the women's game and England in the men's game. You guys had the head start. They also did. But you guys at least took advantage and won four World Cups. <laughs> and England and, just didn't even show up yeah, to the first few World Cups. I mean, they just go one. That's a good point. Just go one. Grab <laughs> the referee at home. You know. <laughs> so so let, let's, let's you know, look at the culture. Let's take Norway and look yeah. at the culture in Norway. So, so... What happened this World Cup is is the coach, Hegger um has this incredible player, Graham Hansen. She plays for Barcelona in the Champions League. She sounds English, Graham you know, Hansen. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and so um, I'm not sure of, you know, why, but, you know, obviously there's a connection there. But, you know, in, in the terms of way that she plays, she's definitely not traditional <laughs> English. You know, she unbelievably... Stick it in the mixer. So, so you know, here's... here's Studs up. Here's, Studs up, up, lad. Here's, here's, a, here's an interesting... I, I went through, you know, I looked at the highlights of her playing. And, you know, th these are the moves that she uses. And you might recognize some of these because they're part of, you know, our Maestro series that Philippe and I recorded and stuff. And uh, she uses the L-turn. Uh, we don't teach La Croqueta, but she uses that. She uses the Cruyff, the Puskas, the Fake Shot, the Matthews. And she's an amazing finisher, you know. And um, I think she's the best player in the world right now. You know, and 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 yet she was held out of the Switzerland game, um, you know, by her coach, for some reason. You know, she you know she wasn't started in the Switzerland game. So you've got this player that is you know playing all the time for Barcelona, doing amazing things for Barcelona, on a way better team than the Switzerland national team. You know, and and uh, sorry, than the Norwegian national team, and yet she's being held out by the Norwegian coach. And it's, it's got to be just a concept of maybe she's too creative. Maybe she's just this, you know, this, this you know, wild one that is going to destroy my system on the team. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, and I'm saying to myself, give me the wild ones. Give me the ones that nobody can predict what they're going to do. And as a defense, you know, we're in trouble if we're playing against those players that are going to take you on. They can do all these moves. They can score incredible goals. You know, they do the unexpected. You know, even, you know, their teammates don't know what's coming next, you know. But they just split defensive wide with defensive wide open. And, and this is what Graham Hansen does. You know, she just goes for it. You know, it's all on the line. She goes for it. And she ruins defensive tactical skills because she's not playing the passing game. And this is really important that we understand this. As a defense, growing up, and I didn't realize how easy it was, growing up, I played semi-pro defensively for Oxford City. They just made it into the, the fifth division in the English League, you know, that Wrexham just came out of. You know, and we set up as a defense to destroy the passing game because none of the teams we played against <laughs> had anything but the passing game. So we could always set up you know, to destroy the passing game, you know, and, you know, but when you come against, a, uh, come up against a team that can play the passing game and the dribbling game, beat you in the one-on-one, -on -one, you don't know whether to set up for the one-on-one -on -one game, the dribbling game, or the passing game, and they're diametrically opposed to each other. If you set up as a defense to, you know, stop the dribblers, you have to go and cover mm -hmm. the defender that is, is actually trying to stop immediately that, that dribbler. You have to put a lot of pressure cover into your defense. 
But if you're setting up to cut, you know, to stop a passing offense and they don't have any dribblers, you know, then you can go to a zone or a man for man and you can just take away, you know, passing avenues and mark up goal side and you can destroy that. But when a, a team is able to switch between a passing offense and a deceptive dribbling offense, you as a defense have to switch between two modes and you never know what's coming when the other team has a Graham Hansen on the team. You know, Argentina. You know, when they have a Di Maria and a Leo Messi on the team, you never know how to set up. And you, inevitably, you're going to get it wrong, probably more than, you know, maybe half the time, you know, you're going to get it wrong. You know, so it gives the other team incredible opportunity to penetrate and create scoring opportunities. You know, and that's what great deceptive dribblers do. One time, Pelé would take on two, three players. The next time, he lays it off for Carlos Alberto to hit a great shot into the corner of the net. And it's such a simple pass that he made. But the reason he's able to do that is because everybody collapses on him and leaves the players around him a little bit more open. And it's in the back of the net before you know it. You know, and that's the difference between the USA and the rest of the world. They didn't have a player in this tournament, Rose being injured, that or was capable for suspension. Yeah, you know, that was capable. Of, of playing that creative game and forcing the defense to collapse on them and worry about them, you know, like a team with Leo Messi has to do. You know, they have to collapse on Leo Messi, which creates spaces for all the players around him. So Leo Messi immediately increases the value of every player on into Miami because everybody that's watching thinks the players around him, you know, are getting better because he's making them look better. You know, and that's the value of great players. And if you've got more than one, you know, you maybe double your chances of winning. If you've got three instead of two, you triple your chances of winning. Well, we, we often talked about, you know, Andy always makes fun of me about Brazil. But when you look at Brazil and Argentina these past five years, maybe, when Argentina finally started winning a, a few trophies, the main difference is Brazil had one difference maker and Argentina had two. People would shut down Messi, Di Maria would solve the problem. People would shut down Neymar if they, he didn't solve all the problem. We didn't have anybody else. So he, the Argentina doubled their chances. They won. We didn't. Yeah, 100%. Andy, uh, you had mentioned at the start when you are talking about Graham Henson not playing against Switzerland, uh, and you specifically mentioned, I don't know, maybe the, the, the Norwegian coach was thinking, oh, they're not going to follow my tactics. I'm imagining a scenario back when you coached me of you yelling at me, Andrew, you're leaving your zone. <laughs> I was talking about the mental zone. You, know, you completely checked out mentally, you know, which you tend to do. leaving your zone. Oh, sorry, Andy. Forgot. Yeah, that was on page three of the tactical game plan you gave us before. Did I page. really say that? No, I'm imagining like I'm laughing. Oh, okay, I was going to say, you know, <laughs> I don't think I've ever used that that line in my life. You know, You're leaving your zone. You know, because it, you know I'm constantly about offense has no shape. Oh, I know. You know, because it's you know oh, you, I, you I need to be unpredictable. Like, I took that like a like a duck takes to water. I, as soon as we got the ball, I was taken off into unique spaces. Well, you know, recently, you know, you've been illustrating, you know, this coach in Brazil that's playing, you know, in tight spaces, and his team is actually collapsing into a tight space because it's totally confusing. Mm -hmm. for the defensive that the defenses they play against and so he's teaching them to play through crowded spaces by doing unique things doing things they haven't seen before the opposition just is totally confused by he it basically right? he basically instead of playing 11 v 11 
he makes the field in small 6v6, 7v7 fields. So he literally shifts the right winger all the way to the left. I mean, sometimes goal kick, he pulls in the center mid. To The, the other day I saw a play that was unbelievable. They got the number 10 right next to the keeper for their goal kick. He started the play. He beats one guy, pass the ball through, go wide, make a run, and starts the counter all the way up there. Like, they just do everything so different and so confusing that nobody knows what they're doing. Again, they shift everybody to one side, make a small field, and then they have six, seven, eight players around the area, and they're, like, just dribbling, passing, moving, doing dummies, overlaps, like, just complete chaos. A lot of times it doesn't work, but when it it doesn't work, they also have so many players there, they can press immediately and win it back. So they make it so different. Can I jump in here? Because... One one of the things that's blowing my mind is this this massive mushrooming growth of pattern plays, you know, and you know I, I'm developing you know as, as much of a dislike for pattern plays as I do for rondos, because you know when you have a pattern it's predictable, right? That's that's why it's called a pattern is because it's reproduced again and again and again. Twenty bucks says Greg Berhalter. <laughs> if you said what are the two things I should work on, he'd say rondos and pattern play. <laughs> and, and so, you know, what you're doing is you're training your players to be predictable. When you, when you train your players in a pattern, you're training robotics, you know, and that might work in, you know, where I, you know, spent four years in the British Leyland manufacturing plant. Robotics works. It puts together cars that have less defects, right? But, it, you know, it's not going to win World Cups, you know, because you're not doing the same thing again and again and again because it's predictable. It's easy to defend against. So patterns have to go out of the window. It's all about surprise. It's all about improvisation. It's all about doing things that defenders and defenses do not expect. And that's what you're going to have to do if you're going to win World Cups. I could just I can just see Andy's next marketing marketing motto. Um, all the other clubs in Kansas City. They produce robots. Us at the Kansas City Legends, we use artificial intelligence. <laughs> Andy, have you ever played video game? No, no chance. Funny, funny, funny you should ask, right? This last week I was in Colorado on vacation, you know, and, uh, and in Colorado, um, you know, um, what have they got? The Manitou, Manitou Springs, where the Manitou Incline is. Um, they've got this kind of, you know, cute little downtown with lots of restaurants and stuff, but they've got this amazing arcade, you know, with, with just tons of antique vintage video games. And when I was a teenager, I used to love to play Space Invaders. And so every time I go there, and I go there once a summer because we've got, I've got, we've got family that, that, that goes to the Renaissance Festival and actually runs the Joust at the Colorado Ve- Renaissance Festival in Larkspur. And so we always visit Manitou Springs, and I make a pilgrimage to this arcade just to play Space Invaders every year. And every year, I walk away from my pilgrimage to the arcade with the high score on Space Invaders. <laughs> Still, after all these years, I used to play at 16, 17, 18 in the pub. Guys, there's zero chance Philippe that. knew that story was coming when he asked that question. No, zero chance. But nobody plays that. He's the only person who has been in that arcade. Beat my score from last year. <laughs> uh, anyway, but if you play... I, hey, that's not true. There's other people on the high school list. You know, so, you know, it, it, you know, they may be old fogies like me. And, 
Andy Barney, 10 years on the trot. <laughs> Andy Barney and his alter ego. <laughs> it's a daily list. It re, it re, you know, hits every day, you know, so. But when you play FIFA, when you play FIFA, there is no... What's FIFA? It's the video game for soccer. Uh, oh, I was just kidding. You didn't have to answer. I mean, that's really a big insult. When you answer me, what's FIFA? Who I mean, knows? I'm not that stupid. Come on. Uh, but there's no pattern plays. Pattern plays don't work because the video game knows the patterns. Yeah. It doesn't work. You, you, all the goals are scored by being creative and, and dribbling. It's just like soccer. If you teach pattern plays with all the technology, all the videos you're going to be able to know what, what's coming. I mean, this is the point that we make all the time when talking about our club and, and, and our philosophy and our coaching style and the players that it produces. Uh, your tactics become very predictable when you have players with a low technical ability because they're, they're, they're only able to play in a cer certain tactical system. And if kids but are when you have players that are exceptional technically, which is the Brazilian team that you're talking about specifically now, they could do crazy stuff tactically and they can change their tactics at, you know, at, the, at the drop of a hat because technically they are so good. And so Andy, you talk about all the time, we don't work on tactics at the club. We don't d develop a specific uh, uh, formation or tactic system of play that we're going to breed through the club because the kids are going to go to a different high school. Then they're going to go hopefully to a different college. Then they're hopefully some of them are going to go play pro all with different tactics. And so we're going to develop players that are technically brilliant and can fit into any specific tactic, tactical system. Yeah. And, and that is really the key is where, wherever our players go, they have a better touch. They have better deception. They have better moves. They have better ball striking ability, better finishing ability. And the coach looks at them and says, okay, now I need you to play in a 4-4-2, in a you know, in a 3-5-1, whatever, you know, a 3-5-2 rather, and, you know, whatever the system is, the coach slots them into the system. And in that system, they can be brilliant because around the ball, they're brilliant. When I talk yeah. to parents <clears throat> before they join my teams, I oftentimes, you know, the, the last, I'm talking about the philosophy and like our approach and the, what, you know, what formation do you play or, or what are the tactics that you guys use or how does this work? You, you seem to focus really on individual play, but it's a team game. Like, how is my kid going to exceed at a higher level? And I say, look, like I grew up in this system. I started playing when I was six. I played all the way through until I went off to college. When I got to college, tactically, I was probably naive from a perspective like that's not something that we worked on you know in club training um but individually i was fantastic and so i got to college i never felt tactically behind but technically i was the only guy on the field that consistently would go at players 1v1 and create and it created a scenario because i wasn't beholden to a position or a specific tactical style of play in college in my four years at, at drury which at the time was 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 low in d1 now it's a division two school in my four years at drury I started a game at every single field player position. I did not ever start a game at goalkeeper, but I came close one point during an injury. But I started a game at the six, at the four, at the three, at the two, at the eight, the nine, the ten, right? The the eleven, the seven. I started a game in my four years at every position. And that was only because I played in a system that developed me as a player, not as a position. The coach actually told me it was only because they were trying to find a position you were good at. <laughs> <laughs> I was good with it because it meant I was on the field. So, Well, but it gives give credit to him. If he was terrible technically, the coach would not 
keep insisting trying to find a position. Maybe he tried them all, even goalkeeper, and then, okay, there's no hope. And then he quit. But at least because of his technical ability, he might have fool, fooled him for I, like three, I, four years. You know what's, you know what's I will actually say. surprising is you were a good goalkeeper. I know. That's why I'm, I like, so, like when the keepers went down, I almost was the guy that but, they put in there. Because you were the guy I put in when our, you know, our, when keeper our keeper was injured. Was injured yeah, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, you know, we didn't carry two goalkeepers. To be really you know? clear, though, my, my time at center back was quite limited. It was a half. Um, <laughs> and it was the first game that a new coach came in to take charge. And I was going to be a senior. It was in the spring season. And he goes, Andrew, you're going to start at the center back. We were playing three in the back. So I was the lone center back in this, in this setup. And <laughs> it didn't take him long to realize Every time I got the ball, I was looking to dribble. So he quickly moved me out of that at halftime into other roles, and I never saw the center back spot again. Yeah, the guy would have had a heart attack if he'd have kept you there. <laughs> so, so you know, it, uh, you know, let's let's look at USA Soccer, right? And you know, and, and let's compare this to other mediums. You know, where are American soccer's Vincent Van Goghs? Where are American soccer's Leonardo da Vinci's? Where are American soccer's Mozart's? You know, where are American soccer's Freddie Mercury's? You know, where are American soccer's Baryshnikov's, the great ballet dancer? Where are American soccer's Martyrs? Or Ronaldinho's? Or Leo Messi's? You know, and are we not intelligent enough to realize that we are literally consigning our youth players to eating meat and potatoes every meal. There's no spice in what most clubs do. There's only a system designed to win the next game. You know, and it's, it's sorry, child abuse. You know, because you're taking away the creativity. You're taking away all of the fun, all of the spice, all of the specialness, the real quality that builds leaders into respected leaders is their differences, their positive differences, their creative differences. You know, leaders are respected more for those things than any other personal component in life. And we have coaches taking away that individual perspective from these kits. They are taught to fit in. They're taught to do limited number of things in order to win games in combination with their teammates. They're taught to play a less creative game. Defensively, we've got to shut the shop, you know, and, you know, and they can't get out of that mode of, of being afraid to concede a goal. So they don't even start to think about how to really create a great goal-scoring opportunity, develop the individual abilities to beat people and score from 25, 30 yards out. They just don't develop those things. You know, they're, they're literally painters without paint. Does that make sense? You know, they are Mozart without a piano. You know, and we've got to give them the tools to be these incredible artists. You know, they are Barishnikov without ballet. You know, you've got to give them, you know, this amazing creative opportunity if they're going to achieve great things. You know, the, you know, there's Simone Biles, you know, without a vaulting horse. You know, you know, you just can't develop these incredible people if you don't give them the right tools. And we are not giving our players the right tools. 
we're not giving the freedom, we're not giving them the creative instruction. You know, we are hurting our players, but not just from a soccer perspective, from a life perspective. Because what happens in one arena carries over into another arena. We are, you know, sorry for all the accountants I'm just about to insult. I would never train my kid to be an accountant. I'm sorry, but you're pushing <laughs> figures around in order to save people on their taxes is not my idea of a fulfilling life. You know, maybe, you know, you're prepared to do that for 40, 50 hours a week in order to get a big house and summer vacations on the Riviera, but you are not going to have a great life for 40, 50 hours a week. You know, unless, as far as I'm concerned, you're really weird. Sorry, accountants, but, you know. Uh, one, of my good friends, one of my good friends from my college soccer team, also a center back, is an accountant, and it all makes sense now. Yeah, that's why he's a center back. <laughs> uh, well, guys, as, as as we wrap up this episode, I really enjoyed the the conversation. Um, obviously, I didn't enjoy the World Cup uh, from a from a, a U.S. women's fan perspective, um, but um, I've enjoyed this conversation and looking at it, and and it's helped clear clarify for me. Um, uh, kind of my takeaway from the World Cup thus far, which is watching Morocco, Nigeria, um, uh, South Africa, Jamaica, Colombia succeed um, at the expense of, of the United States, at the expense of Germany, um, at the expense of, of some, some women's soccer powerhouses that are lacking the creative culture that, um, that we talk about so often. And, and, and I, I always talked about that. Uh, at the end of the day, soccer is to be entertaining. I don't enjoy watching like Andy describe Germany playing. I, if they won the World Cup, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. It's not for me. That's not a good representation of soccer. That's not a good representation of a good product. That's not what we should be emulating, right? So, I think we, as coaches or club administrators or you know soccer people, we need to make sure we're creative people and players. They're gonna entertain because that's what's gonna make the sport grow. And at the end of the day, if you actually go deep into it, sport grows, people will make more money, you know, which is what they want, right? So you, the, the creative players in developing those players are, are the future of the sport as a whole worldwide. And for that's sure. what we need to focus on. For and sure. it's the right thing to do. And my, my message for the greater soccer community is stop blaming Vladko Andonovsky <laughs> for this, this loss, you know, because it's not Vladko's fault. It's the fault of all of those coaches that didn't develop deceptive dribblers and goal scorers that wanted to win the next game and preserve their paycheck over developing brave, creative individuals for life. It's not Vladko's fault that you gave him terrible materials to work with. Not terrible. You know, defensively, they were awesome. On the creative side, very, very poor compared to the other good teams in this World Cup. Or past editions of the U.S. Women's National Team. Yes, and even past editions of the U.S. National Team. You know, you youth coaches that are blaming his tactics gave him poor materials to work with. It's about time you started giving him, off of every team you coach, 80-90% deceptive dribblers and goal scorers. And if we do that, we can rise again to the top of world women's soccer. But it's going to take a long time. It's not going to happen in four years or eight years or even 12 years. Uh, it's going to take another 16, 20 years before the USA gets to the top of women's soccer, but only if we change our mentality because the world is getting better at developing more creative dribblers and goal scorers. And we've got to outwork them, outskill them, outcreate 
them. We've got to do better with what we do as youth coaches in order to develop a competitive USA national team. Otherwise, we can kiss being competitive at the women's national team level goodbye forever. And it's simple math. Biggest population on a country that actually plays women's soccer by a, by a country mile. Like, we have the biggest pool. We have the money. We have the structure. Now we need to do what we're missing, which is the coaching philosophy. We have everything else in 10 times in advantage of everybody else. But if we keep shooting ourselves in the foot, it's not going to work. Yeah. Well said, both of you. Another great episode. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. See you.